to be an assassin. Because if he just said, get me, it makes the film 10 times better for me. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you had a fantastic week. It is episode 14 of the Denzel Canhai Show. That marks, I was going to say, two weeks of the show. That, if that, that doesn't show you how razzled my brain is that I was going to say, yeah, this is our second episode. We've only been doing the show for two weeks. I'm so fucking razzled. I'm so razzled. My thoughts are just everywhere. I'm scatterbrained. It's not It's not the best right now. Yeah, as you can see, no more green screen. We got a little black and white aesthetic. I thought it would be cool considering the fact that it represents basically me being black and white and being in the middle of that. My first actual podcast, and I think there might be the episode one up. I'm not sure if it's still out there. My first, my first ever podcast that I did was not the Denzel Can I Show. Before this, about two or three years ago, maybe during quarantine, I did about I did a trailer and I did two episodes of the Introverted Mulatto. That was the first. That was my first um, name for the podcast. I really liked that name. At the time, like the idea of like the Denzel Cantai show and branding it as myself did not seem, I don't know. It was just in a very different space in like content creation where I was like, no, I want to be moist critical. I want to be fucking Hassan Anabi. No, I want to be this guy. I want to be this guy. I was like, no, I just got to be myself, branded as myself, not try to come up how they came up, come up in my own way, be authentic to me. And hopefully that resonates with people and they want to grow with me, listen to my life story as I grew with creators before. That's what I really learned and why I started this podcast is because I've tried to listen to so many different podcasts and with stand-up especially, I try so hard to watch new stuff, new guys, not get caught in the same loop of watching the same thing over and over again. But what I've realized over time is like, for some, like, reason i don't know why but like my brain likes a certain voice register whatever it might be it only likes listening to a certain few maybe five six seven ten tops people like once i get out of that register it's like maybe it's not the actual voice but it's what they talk about how like maybe it's just the person and like you can only like gravitate to so many people and relate to them like I don't relate to Cody Ko, but I can listen to him talk for hours. I don't relate to Bobby Lee, but I can listen to him talk for hours. I don't relate to Tom Segura. I kind of relate to Tom Segura, actually. Being like the quiet guy while Bert's right beside. I don't relate to Bert, but I can listen to him talk for hours. Like you know, It's just something about how they talk, the energy, the flow. It, it resonates with me. And so I realized that if I do... <laughs> 8 million goddamn people, we just passed that number this year. There's got to be at least 10, 50,000 people maybe that if I brand the show the right way, keep putting it out, marketing it, that they will, I fit that. I check those boxes for them. They can listen to me. They can see themselves in me maybe. Maybe they don't like me and that's what they like listening to. Maybe it's just they like listening to a different thought process, a new thought process. A younger thought process. Maybe if I have younger fans, an older thought process. A lot of thought processes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I got back into watching some movies this week, which was good. 
Um, it's kind of a down week. Uh, working out wise, the runs really took a hit. I only got like one or two runs done this week. I really need to catch up. But I'm just going to take it like slow with that. It's not going to be my main priority. My main priority is really creativity this year. But like that's like a nice, like you have your four pillars of life, right? You have your relationships, you have your mental health, you have your your physical health, and then you have like creativity, work, aspirations, goals. And so like I'm really focusing on the creativity aspirations part and the mental health part those are my two biggest focuses this year like physical health is obviously still gonna be important i'm gonna start i'm gonna obviously try to keep in shape get fit gain some weight but it's not like i'm not aiming to be a bodybuilder so it's not my number one focus i don't want to be a uh, a fitness influencer i don't really want to like post running content like maybe that would be fun in the future, maybe as like a side thing. But my main my main priority is I want to put, I want to write some scripts, I want to direct some short films, I want to build up my portfolio, my portfolio, so that I have something to show these people, and I want to, um, apply for like industry jobs, and I don't just have a blank resume with like, yeah, I worked at a grocery store in a warehouse. Can I be your DP? Like, like they're not going to hire me off that. And so, like, if I do all this stuff on the side on my own and then I get the diploma from school, I think that will be able to give me some jobs. I know the diploma alone won't give me nothing, but sometimes it's a mandatory to have. And so even doing the side stuff alone can't get you in all the doors. But having them both, I could really take that advantage and i'm like i want to I, I wrote my first script today it's not really finished kind of like a rough draft i didn't put it in a script format nothing i just wrote it in my thoughts of what i my thoughts on a story it took me a couple hours reason why i'm doing this later in the day but i like it just flew out of me creativity just going i i got lost writing for hours something like that has not happened in a long time when it comes to like writing a story I'm not very like I am like a good writer but like not when I put myself to sit down and write and try to find an idea that's when it just all shuts off and the idea will suck it won't be real it won't be authentic but when it comes to me and I just have the idea and I just let it go that those are the ones that I keep in the notes and I'm like okay one day one day I know this will be something yeah, I like this for today, but I'm like thinking in a way where it's like I don't have the availability to like actors for someone to hold the camera for me. I don't have the budget for any to pay anyone to do that stuff, but I could write these scripts. I'm writing some scripts like around like friends that I can maybe ask to be in the project. But I could write some scripts where it's like when I'm in school in fall and next year and the year after that. I could have scripts where it's like the people I meet there when we're doing like school projects and stuff or have off time, maybe I can ask them to help on it and with being out with all those creatives. Like that's the really the part that I didn't really think about. And it, it really should have been my main focus because it's like if you're going to like a film program or a film school anywhere, whether it be Canada, America, the best film school in the world. The degree doesn't matter. 
The degree will not get you a job at Marvel. The degree will not make you a fucking director. The the degree will make you maybe a PA. You'll be lucky enough to be a PA after dropping 150K at USC. Probably even more. I'm probably way lowball on that. There's another figure that came to my head. But the degree won't give you shit. So if you're going there and you're looking there to, like, have a 95% average and have the best GPA, it's like, that's not what you should be going there for. What you should be going there for is, yes, pay attention, learn the skills, have fun. You, you're, you're in school watching films, making films. But to network, to really open myself out of that box, make connections that maybe right now won't mean anything, but 10 years down the line, they could lead to future jobs and careers and so and so on. But like, that's what you're really there for is the connections in the networking and in like building that skill of being put into a room with like 25 strangers and then being able to like find out which ones you would work well with, what, what kind of people you work well with, what type of creatives you want to work with in the future? Do you like more freelance work or do you want to um, work at a studio? That's also what these programs can offer you. They can offer you um, in placement to where you get the opportunity to be at a place like Rogers or Sportsnet or Sports Center or CB24, whatever it may be. So you can experience that like studio production, kind of professional. Like, not that freelancing isn't professional, making your own stuff isn't prof- It's, of course, professional. But, like, you know what I mean. Seeing that, like, that company, that company, it's a lot different. Company production, it's a lot less creative. <laughs> so it's, like, a lot more, like, it's a lot more uh, manufactured. It's a lot more plain, a lot more detailed, a lot less um, improv, a lot less. Uh, random events happening, a lot less creativity, of course. But maybe that fits you better. Maybe that, like, almost production line, like, type of work, but you're still in a creative field holding a camera, doing stuff that does intrigue you. Like, one thing that I heard uh, Carl Sagan say the other day, and it made me so inspired, so inspired to make even just a short film, is that, and like with this podcast to keep doing is, if you look at, I'll close this for now. If you look at Earth, like and if you were like on another planet far away in the universe or galaxy, it's like this ball around our, our planet, like this spherical ball. That's like, around, like I don't know, fuck, I wish I just had the clip. But he explains that like, basically, since the 1940s and like from the 1940s to now into the future till we stop transmitting radio waves and and stuff like that all that you can pick up for that will never it will degrade of course like if the aliens listening to the 1940s broadcast it won't sound good they won't hear the best audio quality but it will survive if you make a film that lasts, that will last longer than humans, most likely. Your film, the radio waves, whatever, if you like put, I'm trying to think. 
of how he like worded it to like what it had to be. Like your film will last forever. It is also the truth for like social media. Like your tweets are on a server. Like this is my one of my favorite Shane Gillis jokes from his special is that uh, fucking all these old people tweeting are uh, leaving Facebook messages on a server that will out, that will outlast civilization itself. Like if you come here after all the humans have nuked itself and you look at our servers, you'll just be able to pull up fucking Morbius memes and shit like that. Like it's so fucked. Like how how we've evolved there's so many different routes we could have taken and we took in like this weird like yes it's sci-fi but it's very mundane sci-fi where we're all just like tweeting at each other like we use technology we are basically cyborgs we're basically cyborgs with our phones right we have another appendage that we have added onto ourselves that is not at all connected to us it is completely technology it's foreign completely man-made yet we carry it with a yet it is like a part of ourselves is what i'm trying to say but we don't use that for like super advanced stuff like no one really uses their phone for like calculus no one uses their phone for like advanced physics you know what i mean like ideally that's what the technology would be there for is so that everybody has the access to this advanced um, library of knowledge and they are frequently and constantly tapping into it so that they keep evolving their intellect but it doesn't seem to be the case it seems to be we create like we've created these networks where it's like yeah, forget all that like super cool and important and uh like actual shit that matters that we have on the internet yeah fuck that we're not getting clicks on that shit let's make some super non-meeting toxic non-productive totally useless wasteless does not help this human society move further one inch at all let's put billions of dollars into making that it's like what what like i don't know man like your phone should be constantly making you smarter and like there's periods in my life when I use my phone in a way where it actually feels like a good piece of technology. But most times like you just bounce back into this loop of either like you're a business person where you're using emails, texting, calling, or you're just watching YouTube videos, Instagram scrolling, bada, 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 or you're like me, where it's just movies, TV shows, any content you can have to block out the background noise you have on constantly and so like my screen time is crazy it's like 12 hours a day but i'm not on my phone like that like if i would have to say or guess i'm probably on my phone like an actual three hours a day but like it's just playing in the background the other nine hours <laughs> but yeah that could just be a, an out i give myself to number one i hate about like the mobile industry phones like the online app market or whatever you want to fucking call it every useful app that could actually like advance your skill set uh, teach you new skills even as simple as just book libraries for audiobooks and stuff like that all of it 
are subscription-based programs or large sum amount apps. They all cost money. In every form, anything that is actually useful to advancing your to advancing yourself all costs a decent amount of money. But any app that is that you can any app that you can spend hours on just wasting your life they have studies on destroying your life causing you mental illnesses causing people to commit suicides causing mental disorders causing eating disorders completely ruining people's lives Com- like completely sucking the energy out of them the spirit the love uh, destroying them mentally, thinking they have to live up to this perfect image that people, that other people pretend to uphold on these apps. All of those apps that are, all of those apps are free. Have no payment. Some of them are starting to add payments now because that's how gross the market has become. But all of those are free. To like get in and waste 10 hours a year a day on every day. That's free. But if you wanted to use 10 hours of your day efficiently, like, I don't know, maybe getting a good video editor like Premiere Pro or Final Cut Pro, either 30 bucks a month, which it's like, it's not an egregious amount of money. But how many people can just throw away 30 bucks a month trying to learn something? You know what I mean? Like when you're trying to learn, it's not like you already have the skill set. You're trying to learn something. You need the program to get jobs. You need the program. You need program to get the job, to get the money, to pay for the program. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And the subscription program pisses me off even more because it's like, with those Creative Cloud apps, you should be able to buy Premiere Pro and Photoshop just like you are able to buy Final Cut Pro. For an all-out price. It is ridiculous that they get off on this market where they can charge you annually or monthly. It is so fucking ridiculous. They don't update it that often. There's not much that maintenance went into them. Those are just fucking profit makers. It's so stupid. Or Rosetta Stone, for example. You want to learn a new language? Advance your life? Advance your skill set? Be multi-bilingual? Add that to your resume? What is it? Probably 15 bucks a month. <laughs> so like, and yes, you can throw the examples like, yeah, those apps. It's like those people care about their apps, and of course, they want money back for them. They put money into them and a lot of time into them. You don't think money is being put into Twitter? You don't think money is being put in Instagram? There's a there's a big way for these companies to make money when you're on their app. Like I'm just trying to brainstorm for one for Premiere Pro, but. Premiere Pro could very easily run ads. Very easily run ads. Have like one bar in the top right just constantly playing ads. Sell those for millions of dollars. People are on that. People When people use editing software, they normally use it pretty fucking often. And they spend a lot of time in it. So if you just had a constant ad or something, it might subtly influence someone. That's a way to get your 30 bucks a month out of that person. And say, if you don't want to pay for this ad, you're actually paying for something to remove something from a software that you don't like. So you're asking them to edit how they make money. So now you have to give them money 
I understand that. I understand if I want the Twitter blue, that I have to pay for it. And if I could just scroll Twitter and look at tweets, I don't have to pay a dollar. That makes sense to me. YouTube premium. Now we're coming at you, YouTube. I know, I know, Susan. I know, Susan, you're going to fucking flag this. I know you're going to flag this, but you need to hear it, Susan. The YouTube premium is such a fucking scam. Such a scam. The features they give you. Um, playing outside of YouTube should be mandatory. It should have just been a feature added to the app. You could do it in Crave. You can do it in Safari. You can do it in Netflix. You can do it in any app that you watch content. The TMG Studios app. You can do it. There's no reason for that to be a premium feature of YouTube. No reason. That's just you're holding just holding something hostage behind a paywall. Number two, downloads. You should want people who don't have the access to data to still use your app when they are out on the streets. It doesn't even make sense from a marketing perspective to hold downloading videos behind the paywall. The only thing that, I, that you should be paying for is ad-free, and that should be like 7 bucks a month. It shouldn't be 25 bucks a month for downloadable videos. Like 25 bucks a month for downloadable videos, no ads, and outside the box. How much does it cost to maintain YouTube? Like, actually maintain it. Like, just um, one update per year, two updates per year. Maintenance so that it, it never crashes, is steady going, everything's fine. How much does that actually cost? Like, it can't cost more than $100 million. Like, that would be out of my mind ridiculous to think it costs that much to run YouTube. So for you charging 25 bucks, it doesn't even make sense, my G. Does not make sense. And you already are getting deals from advertisers. And everyone's already posting you their content on there basically for free. Like you're not paying your creators. You can you're paying your creator, but are you really? Are you really paying your creators? You're paying Ryan Toys 99% of what all creators should be getting. Like, like it's so stupid. If you keep, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get fucking, I don't want to end up on Rumble. I don't want to end up on Rumble. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop before I end up on Rumble in Romania, like Sneeko and Tate. I don't want to be like Sneeko and Tate. I, I dyed my hair blonde. I'm not Asian, all right? I'm light-skinned. Is he, is he, he's not Asian black. I cannot see that. He's definitely Asian white. I know, I know it couple of guys that look like him that are Asian white. Maybe he is Asian black. I shouldn't put that on anybody. So funny with like him and that Manosphere shit is like I liked Sneeko. Tate was kind of like a funny joke. I still like the idea of Tate to me is hilarious. Tate is hilarious and the idea of him is hilarious. That he became this popular like when I saw him when I saw him, like, because I've been watching YMH for a minute, right? And so, like, I've been knowing about Tate for, like, three years when they did the Cobra Tate shit. And so it was, like, to me, it was always a joke. It was never real. And, like, 
it's still through this whole like year where he's become bigger than Joe Rogan, bigger than Donald Trump. It still isn't real to me because I saw, I saw him laugh with a comedian and like be inside on the joke. He he's very a very high highly skilled entertainer. He gets it. He knows what to do when the cameras the lights are on. He knows what to say. He knows what's gonna attract people. He understands the game. And so like to me it was like. I thought everybody else got the joke. and I, No, I didn't. Uh, that's a lie. I did not think everybody else got the joke, but I thought most people like me that have similar to above intelligences, I thought people that were smarter, or at least as smart as me, would also see this as a joke. But, like, the debate that's happened between people I hold vastly smarter than me where they're like actually questioning, like, wait, does he both like when Joe Rogan, when Joe Rogan, I don't consider Joe Rogan and Dave Portnoy like vastly smarter. Yes, they are, like in a business terms and at marketing. They they obviously have many skills that I don't have. They've acquired a much amount of money that I don't have, so they are smarter than me in ways. But it's not like they're super intellects. But when I saw them like having this debate about Andrew Tate, I was like very confused i was like these two like these two guys should get it right especially dave dave not getting it to me is very weird because he almost plays the same game and i think that's why he kind of hates tate because he sees himself in tate like you are that with gambling like dave you understand that you are the tate of gambling that's all you are that's all barstool is tate is about Men being like men being better, or Tate is about the manosphere thing, and you are about gambling and that side of the like frat culture. That's what you are as Barstool and what you've created. Let's not act like anything else, and let's not act like Barstool does not fucking use women and has not came up off using women. Because that would be one of the biggest lies in the history of the internet. Can't even cap. Barstool. That would be like Nelk saying, like, yeah, without any women involved, we would be just as big as we are. It's like, no, you fuck. Why do I have a Leica sticker? When I stickered that, I had no idea what Leica even fucking was. That just tripped me out when I saw that. Cause like knowing what like is now as a camera brand and like how expensive they are. Why, where did I get the like a stick? That's fucked. It's so weird. Yeah. Nelk, Barstool, they literally profitized and grew their fan bases off of college titties, beer, and frat guys. Like that's it in football, in football and gambling. That's what it is. Let's not act like anything else. I think it's amazing what they made out of that with these shows and different ventures. Happy Dad, um, Full Send, of course. But let's not act like it's it's something more. Like they're geniuses. It's, it's not like they're fucking, they figured out the game. All they figured out is like, wait, if you put chicks, if you put hot young chicks with alcohol at like a sick party and you have like a $10,000 camera with a $2,000 lens. 
and you like build up the characters so like people can like have a favorite yo fucking genius show man like mtv has been doing that for 50 fucking years like they this is a concept that's been figured out they just brought it to the internet into the new they just new aged it that's all they did mtv did this in 2000s and the 90s and the 80s mtv been doing this bro been doing this didn't Dane Cook have a show that was like Tourgasm or something? That was just essentially the same thing. Just him on tour, fucking um, getting drunk and fucking chicks. That's literally like the, the idea of the show. That's just the comedy version. Yeah, I guess we should get into the movies of the week then. I didn't watch too many movies this week, but I did get back into watching films and like trying to make that a part of my schedule. After this, I'm probably going to tune in to some The Last of Us and see what's going on with that. I haven't checked it out yet. But I've been hearing a lot of talk about it. Some good, a lot of bad, but a lot of good, too. So uh, definitely going to check that out. My dad actually said I'd like it, so he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, but we'll check it out anyways. That actually made me want to watch the show less, getting his recommendation. Because that guy, horrible taste. I mean... Let me just give you the list of shows that this guy has tried to put me on over the years. The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, and Westworld. Those were like his main shows that he's tried to put me on. Like that, he, horrible taste, horrible taste. Oh yeah, I watched You People. You People was a fucking great movie. I wish I kind of like wrote a script for that, but it was kind of more just fun just experiencing it. It was very fun. I could even watch it again. Not really like so quickly, but like in a couple of years, like where it fades from memory and enjoy it again. Yeah, I, I definitely turned it on for my boy Schultz. I had to see my man acting. It, it, his idol's Eddie Murphy. My idol's Andrew Schultz. I had to turn that on. He did um, a... Obviously, I obviously loved Jonah Hill too, so... Him being in this kind of like romance comedy style. The chick was, she was a good actress. She really uh, encapsulated the like black girl, like American black girl, like very well, which like made me like visibly angry <laughs> during multiple scenes. I mean, like, it, can we talk about like, black people being racist it is just as racist to fucking ostracize white people for their skin tone as it is white people to ostracize black people for their skin tone you don't get past issues like slavery or fucking you don't get past that by bringing it back up and resenting on it and fucking you get past it by evolving and, and realizing that it's like oh wait your skin tone doesn't fucking matter yeah, wait, I thought everybody fucking knew that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why, like, black people get this pass of just shitting on white people. I get it because of slavery, but it's like, it doesn't make, how do you expect things to get better? How do you expect racist white people? Like, when you when racist white people hear that, do you think they're going to stop being racist? Or if they see more of black people saying, oh, I don't really consider, I don't look even at my brothers. Even even at the people that people consider my black brothers, I don't look at them black. I don't see color. 
I don't see color. That's the worst statement ever. I don't see color. I don't attach someone's color to any predefined predefined notions. It's completely. You can have white people that are do very blackish things. Um, what's the word? Black stereotype things. They could do very. You could have. You have Asian people that act very black. You have black people that act very white. It's not... You're, like, you don't wake up in the mirror and base your personality off your skin tone. Yes, yes, to some point, your personality is definitely developed by who you grow up around. Your parents, your family, your friends, your teachers, all of that, your community. But even then... I don't think anyone associates it with a color unless it's brought up to them. As a child, I did not associate myself as black and the black people in my life did not like that, my black family members. But I also didn't associate myself as white and I never got an argument from any of my white family members. And I don't, I, where I don't get the argument is like for me, how could you not see that I'm not black in that if I say I'm black, that I completely reject my mother? I think I've said this before, but uh, yeah, this doesn't make sense. You just want me to reject the woman who raised me and who I came out of? Because what? Because I look brown? It's like, so do Mexicans. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. It's like, if I go to Mexico, I'm very like like bi nationality i guess it's biracial but it's not biracial i guess it is because like i can fit hispanic i even personally think like if i went to like the philippines or like mongolia but like middle east for sure i could definitely fit in with my beard but like i fit in when i went to mexico and cuba they were like yo what's this white lady doing taking one of our boys over the back over the border what's she doing <laughs> But no, I fit in where I go. And because of how, like, Canada is and the sun and the tan, like, this is my lightest complexion. And I will always be the lightest I am in Canada. So whenever I go somewhere, I instantly tan to, like, a natural, like, bronze to what those people adjust to. It's very weird. Like, when I was in Cuba, I was, like, this, like, very oily brown but when I was in Mexico, I was dark brown. Like, I was the darkest I've ever been. And I was in the same amount of sun, so I don't, really, I don't really see the difference. I think it's just, like, the intensity of the sun, being closer to the equator and stuff like that. And so if I went to Nigeria, I would probably turn midnight, you know, like Wesley Snipes or something. You know, I'm basically like the chameleon uh, transformer, whatever you want to shapeshifter whatever you want to call me. I have supernatural abilities to change my skin tone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah, we got that from you. Yeah, You People is really a pretty racial movie. And a lot of the movie was upsetting me that, like, like that's why I love the ending of the film, which, like, it was upsetting me when um, she would, like, kick into, like, this black stuff and would say not borderline, plain, blatant, racist shit to Jonah, the person that she's supposed to be in love with, well, he's just trying to help. 
Like he wasn't doing anything and she would just be angry at him and say some racist shit or some um, anti-Semitic stuff. And then he would just accept it and be cool. And she would not apologize. Like if she did apologize, he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so tired. And it's like, what the fuck? Like if he came at you with that energy, you would be fucking saying so like it's the double standard. I don't get the double standard. Being mad when white people are racist to you, but just expecting white people to take you being racist to them? Huh? Dave Chappelle does this a lot. But Dave Chappelle wins where it's like he understands white people. So he has more like advanced takes. And he doesn't really just... He doesn't shoot on them for them being white. He shoots on them for what they do. And so that's a lot different than just shitting on someone for their color of their skin and associating that with so many other people. It doesn't make sense. And when Jonah Hill says that shit and he's like, I know you're, I know an asshole. Like that's, that's just, I'm, I'm going to carry that line in life to anybody I meet like that. It's like, yeah, I don't know your experience, but I know what an asshole is and you are that. I also thought the ending was very unrealistic. <laughs> very unrealistic. So, like, the parents just bump them in together in the street a couple months after they completely split up and realize, like, our families can't do this. One speech, they just get married on that day. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's just... I feel like they just wanted to wrap it up and not keep it too long in the movie, but... There was other ways to do it where they could have, like, went on a honeymoon or some, something else, got back together, started dating again before just getting married. Even, like, the marriage, like, uh, proposing storyline felt very forced because, like, you weren't even sure they were in a relationship yet. And then it was, like, six months later, and he has a ring. And, it, like, it's so... Pacing was kind of weird. It was a good film, though. Jonah Hill's performance was great. He's very funny. He really carried the film, man. Eddie Murphy, I guess for what his lines were and for what the character was, he did a good job, but I wasn't a fan. The black, she was fucking thick, though. And, like, they hid that shit because, like, you don't even realize to, like, an hour into the film where the director, like, goes to, like, a medium shot. And I'm like, whoa, that's all her and them jeans? I literally said, I was like, what? And then like, the rest of the film, it's like shot from the chest up. I'm like, what? What was the director thinking, man? What was he thinking? What was he thinking? She is like, and there's like a few, uh, there's a few scenes later in the film where you really see it. That girl, I need to search up her name and find her Instagram. <laughs> I need to find that bitch Instagram. The girl playing the Muslim was Jewish, constantly shitting on Jewish people. And this news article was that it made her learn more about her Jew Jewish roots filming. It became personal. I mean, if your father's Jewish, it should be personal already. Well, it's, that's not, you're not a full Jew. You're not a real, you're not authentic. You're not confirmed. It has to be out the mom to be confirmed. Yeah, that's a secret. That's where they get you, where they say, it's like, I can confirm that your mother was Jewish. 
but we don't know who the fuck your father was. <laughs> That's wild. There is a fucking, if you search up Lauren London ass, there's a chick with a Nipsey Hussle tat on her left ass cheek with a nigga's thumb in her asshole and she's bent over doggy and she has the same complexion as Lauren London. And the nigga has horribly, um, horribly cut nails. You could tell that he does not get a manicure regularly and a horribly faded Versace tattoo. So, not the highest of thumbs going in the Schultz's performance was great as well. He did a really good job when he showed up. I think, I think honestly, the film could have used more of the crew and Jonah together. That scene should have been longer. It should have been a bigger role. It was too focused on the relationship, and yes, you had to build that up because that was the main story, but I feel it could have really helped from... Uh, some different um just some more variety it felt very like short film almost where it was shot in like 10 settings where you really could have branched it out and had a couple more adventures maybe in the past or jonah's life before meeting um amira i think the mom jonah's mom did a great job and jonah and hers chemistry was great i uh, she is funny so I don't know why I didn't expect uh I don't know why I didn't expect her to like be that funny when I saw her in this, but she was very good. Jonah Hill was good as always. He's like really on this weird kick where he's like when he was young, I feel like or younger, I feel like he was very like artistic and like everything had to be like very uh creative or like art driven he's very like perfectionist with his works and now he's just like trying to do more stuff and like like cash in on what you got like you only got your limelight for so long right like whether it's stand-up or acting or whatever it is and in the entertainment biz for some people yes you have the 40 year 20 30 year careers where it's like from their young to like tom cruise he did top gun he was 24 and he just did top gun at 54 like it's not the route for most people most people that get an inkling of fame that's it and that's a very short period so cash in make your money and then get out and go do what you want to do because like i know there are people that like love acting and want to act and want to do stand-up but it's like once you've done it and you've made your bag and like that bag you're not getting any more bag. You know what I mean? Like, if you keep doing it, you'll, you'll, you'll get more money, but you're, that bag isn't getting bigger. You've reached 100 mil. You've reached 500 mil. You've reached 50 mil. You've reached 10 mil. You've reached 5 mil. You've reached whatever the number is, and that bag ain't getting any more. Go do something else. Branch out. Like, as much as, like, I don't mean to compare that, but, like, Bert doing the machine. Like, I would love to see... Tom Segura, I love the book he did. That's a great venture. Now you're a New York Times bestseller that you can add to your fucking resume. I would love to see him write a feature film. Not star. He's not the best of actors. But if he wrote something and directed it and got behind it, I feel he has a very creative mind like that where it would be good. And it would, he would not let... Like, if he made a, a series 
and I'm not talking comedy. I'm talking like drama, thriller. I think it would be done very well. I think there would be no holes in it. I think it'd be a new venture, be fun for him. And you don't have to continue doing that if you don't want to. But if you do, why not? It's like, what is another special, you know? What is another special when you have four? It's like, you done it. You did comedy. You completed it. You were an open micer. You were a host. You worked your way up to the ranks. Opener. Mid-show act. Could do 20 minutes, 25. Got on some talk shows. Branched your career out. Finally become a headliner. Then you get your special. Now you're touring all over the world. People want to see you. You made it. You did it. You There's no more to go. The only other go is to be the GOAT. And obviously that must be some people's aspirations to stay in it. But it's like, you want to be the GOAT of comedy? What does that even mean? You know what I mean? It's so subjective. Like it's like saying the GOAT director, the GOAT photographer. It's like when you're talking about art, it's very subjective. There's no way to really define someone as the best at something. Yes, you could say Picasso. Yes, you could say... There's so many directors I want to name there that it's like, what are you even saying? You could say Nolan's the greatest of our generation, but then it's like, is James Gunn a nobody? Some people like him more. Some people's favorite filmmaker is Jordan Peele. Some people's favorite filmmaker is James Cameron. Some people love the Transformers movies and love Michael Bay films. Yes, they exist. I know those freaks do fucking exist. They scare me too. But no, like, some people, some people prefer John Watts' Spider Man over Sam Raimi's. And now those people, they should die. But other than that, everybody else, it's like, it's very subjective. Anybody can make a point and be right and defend it. There's no GOAT comedian. Like, as much as people want to say Chappelle, it's like, I go back and I look at Richard Pryor. I look at Eddie Murphy. I look at Cat Williams. It's like, is he clearly better than these guys? On their best nights, is he clearly better than Cat Williams? I can't say that Cat, that joke for joke per minute, who's made me think more, who's made me laugh more in a special. Cat Williams is definitely up there, man. Definitely up there. If I had to like just say raw mate, Provocative thinking related to me personally, jokes, Cat Williams, funnier than Dave Chappelle, personally. Like, if you go back, it's that pimpin' pimpin' to some of those early specials from the 2000s with Cat. They're better than Killing Him Softly. I'll tell you that right now. I recently watched Killing Him Softly. It doesn't hit the same. After you watch Dave's new works where it's like it's more him like, where he's at this advanced level, then you go back to him with his basic set, it does not hit the same. And he's making that, like, white guy voice. And I didn't realize he did this, but he did that for years as, like, a stage voice. That's so fucked. <laughs> that, like, he felt like he had to do that to get in the industry. He couldn't talk like himself. Maybe it just changed over the time he aged and stuff and smoking cigarettes, but he's, like, very high up here and, like, Trying to be a character, and like now he is being himself. Where it's like Cat Williams is like the character he was playing was himself. That's why Cat Williams is so amazing. 
and uh, yeah, who else did I have to talk to? Richard Pryor. It's like it, it doesn't relate to me the same way. I'm not from that era, but like jokes and like funniness wise, the way he cracks a room, I cannot say Dave Chappelle is substantially better than him. Patrice O'Neill. If we're really gonna have an honest conversation about the goat comedians, make you think. That's like when we all think of comedian, they're supposed to be. I feel like people often think of comedians as dumb people who tell like dick jokes. But in my mind, a great comedian is an intellectual who makes you think. And the way they make you think and wrap it all together and make it entertaining is by making a joke out of it. They get a bunch of knowledge, a bunch of facts, maybe non facts. They pull a bunch of things together and they make a joke out of it to make it entertaining, to digest. Documenters, documenters get a bunch of raw information and throw at you. And if you're interested, you can get some of it, but you won't get all of it. When you hear a, a great bit, you remember that bit. Like the Shane Gillis bit I told you, I remember the bit. It's like some uh, Andrew Schultz, uh, um, the best, the, the foods with the best country. Oh, that's not a great example, <laughs> but you remember the bit. You know what I mean? You remember the bit, at least for like a year or so, you remember the bit very well. Versus if you were to watch a documentary, like you don't just, the information isn't as well. And that's what I think the art of stand-up comedy is. Is asking questions and then turning those questions into a joke. Or like making observations and turning them into a joke. And so, number one, thought-provoking really made you think about things in a different way, but was just fucking hilarious like he would say things that you would never think of but it's like wait is he right and then you're on the floor laughing like that's what a, a comedian at the top of their game is and patrice if you go back and watch elephant in the room i mean if you watch that bitch three times in a row and you know where the jokes are gonna hit you know where the punchline is that shit will still tear your ass up man you go back watch any content with him and lil kev that shit will tear your ass out, man. Now, Dave Chappelle, I can clearly say he's better than Kevin Hart. It's like there are levels to this. But it's like at that top level, when you're saying best of all time, number one, nobody else is better in their prime on their best night. That's a very different conversation than saying, oh, he's better than him in just raw talent. It's very different. And so do something else, branch out. I don't know. To me personally, that would be great. Like one of the best things about Joe Rogan is that he has stories from the UFC commentating. He has stories about being on Fear Factor. He has stories from being on news radio. He has stories from having a development deal. He lived all these different lives. He was an actor. He's a commentator. He's a podcaster. He's a stand-up comedian. He was a fighter. <laughs> like... He does jiu-jitsu, he trains, so many different roles, different hats. And when he sits down, he has a conversation. He has a lot to bring to that conversation. He's very interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe it's just fucking a dumb idea. I don't know. They should just stick to making, maybe they're making so much fucking money that it doesn't make sense to stop. That's probably what it is. Like when you look at Tom Segura's uh, tour, it's like, yeah, he must be making a lot of fucking money to be staying away from your kids like that. <laughs>
Yeah, there was a lot of talk about you people, but the racial themes of that movie I knew would probably uh, spark conversation. I watched Tenet. Now that, I remember watching it for the first time. I didn't watch it in 2020. I think what happened with most people with this movie is they watched the mark. Uh, they didn't. They didn't see the marketing, or they saw the marketing. It just felt like another flash in the pan movie, and COVID did not help it at all. But then, like a year ago, I'm just scrolling through Netflix and I see the trailer, and I'm like, that's fucking interesting. And I love John David Washington. He is such a skilled actor. Like, can we have a real honest conversation and say, John David Washington might be a better actor than his father? Like, on just raw talent, the man can hold his own with Christian Bale, Margot Robbie. In this film, he does it with fucking a list of names in back-to-back scenes. He is talented, man. He, like, there's no other way to say it than, like, talent. Like, he's just so... The charisma he has, the presence he brings, the way he does his own stunts, he cares about projects. Like when I saw that, it was like, if anybody pushing for Tenet 2, it was him the most. When you see anybody in a profession where they're that highly skilled and that young and like not that much exposure, you're like, whoa, whoa. Like when you see Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, you're like, whoa, he should be at Alabama. What is he doing here? <laughs> like, you know, like it's weird. I turn it on. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Christopher Nolan, interesting. I get into it. I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? I'm constantly going back. Did I miss something? Did I miss a scene? What did I miss? Why am I not understanding it? I get through it. I'm like, what? Mind blown. Crying. Crying from the finale scene because that scene is so fucking heartbreaking. I mean, if you could just... If there's ever a movie where you wanted to jump into the screen and just be like, no, and change the film completely, it's that moment. When you know Neil's going back to die and John says, no, Neil, stop. And they have that conversation, fate. And he says, fate. And he's like, I call it reality. I call it reality. Let me go. Just flushing with tears. Flushing with tears. Neil, um... Robert Patterson crushed it in this movie. The way he gives subtle hints when you rewatch it, that like he knows John David Washington. My favorite hint of all, they reach the turnstile in the airport. Neil sees the the bullets in the in the window. And he says, What is this? But as he's saying it, he's looking at the protagonist's character as he's looking towards the turnstile. Like he asked the question, like, okay, I should ask this so that I look i look dumb right but he's really what he really is is asking so that he can confirm that the protagonist is starting to think about things differently and has indeed changed his thought process to how he views the world and so when the protagonist says don't touch this and then explains to him what it is he doesn't like really say anything back to it he kind of just is like ah yeah he's getting it now so when you have that final at the end and he says this is just halfway through the story the end of our friendship for me but the beginning for you it it is man Christopher Nolan can make you feel he can make you feel like no other 
it wasn't until watching it this time that I uh, I made the connection Inception either. And it was weird because, like, my the way I kind of went through it was, like, I was like, wait, this is a lot like Inception, like, time heist. If you think of, like, the whole film as being a time heist, it's a lot like Inception, right? And how it's shot and, like, some of the effects and stuff. And even, like, the gray tone that no one likes to do. I didn't even realize this is where like my 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 uh deteriorating brain kicked in. I didn't realize no one had shot Inception when I made that connection. And so I was like, why are they so similar? And so then I go, I research Inception a little bit, then I'm like, oh, Christopher Nolan, that's why they're so similar. And then I get lost in the web of the Nolan verse and Interstellar and how they all could be connected. And odds are they probably aren't. Nolan isn't the type of guy to really make connected universes. Like, I think he did Dark Knight just to show you. I think he wanted to do it, for one, but just to show you, okay, I can do the superhero thing best. Here you go. I do it. Boom. It's the best. Put it down. Put it away. I don't want to mess with that anymore. I don't want to have to deal with Spider-Man and Iron Man and all that or Superman and Batman. No. I don't want to do none of that. I like my little story that I kept. I had some little Easter eggs if they wanted to do other things like Robin and stuff, but I kept it very tied into itself. There was no Superman Easter eggs, I don't think, looking back. There wasn't much like Green Lantern and other Justice League stuff. It was Batman, Dark Knight, Nolanverse, very individual. And so for him to take that mindset about superhero films and then to have all your films be connected. I don't know if that's a probability. Or the probability is high on that one. As a filmmaker, like as a as an aspiring filmmaker, it definitely leads me to wanting to almost like when I do start creating short films and films, have them all be in a shared universe and have a continuity. Not majorly, but just with subtle details to where if you're a fan of a director and you pick up on these subtle details, you can realize the connections. I think that's fun. I think it. why not if you could? Of course, it makes writing stories a lot harder, especially when you're pitched by studios, stories and stuff. That can make it incredibly harder to fit that in your universe, timing, time periods. Like in Tenet, they say in the future, things have gone horribly bad. That's why they have to turn it back. Interstellar, you're in the future. Things have gone horribly bad. They have to go to space. So it's like you can leave a loose looseness of connecting. You don't have to write the dots. You don't have to be like MCU where you like tell the Easter eggs, but then explain everything in between the Easter egg so that you can baby step them towards the Easter egg, which I'm really tired of. Really tired of. I love, I love No Way Home. But in No Way Home, when you see Green Goblin and you see the villains, you know, before you even went into the film, you knew Tobey Maguire was there. You know Andrew Garfield was there. The leaks had come out. Everyone expected them to be there. Why did they only show up an hour into the film? They should have been there right away. It's because they baby step you to the Easter egg. They have to explain everything. Of course, they have to go through the plot and process of how they got here. You couldn't have leave that a mystery? No, what if it's complicated and they don't get it? And then people complain after. 
So fucking what? People don't get your films. That's fine. It's always been fine. Like, Tarantino said it best. I make my films for me. You're all invited. Stop trying to baby step fucking grown adults that know more about the source material than you. Black, Black Adam was another bad one. Where it's they have that, like, yes, I, I liked how they kept it short, but it's like, we know the story of Black Adam. We know Warner Bros. isn't going to change his backstory from the comics and make him a kid now. We know his son dies, and that's what gives him the power of Black Adam. Why are you trying to fake us? You know what I mean? Like, it's... I guess it's people who don't know, and they do it for them, but... Like, I mean, you can pick these things up. Like, they're not hard to pick up. And if you really cared about a film, all you have to do is go watch a YouTube video that's five minutes long after you watched it. And that's not really asking a lot. If someone really cares about a film, they will research it afterwards without you forcing them to. The film I watched for the channel this week was Daredevil. God, that movie. It was... I can't say that. It wasn't horrible. It's the first time viewing. First time viewings are always different. Unless the film makes me mad on the first viewing. Like, actually, like, I don't... I'm mad at the way the director did something or an actor chose... I'm just mad. I'm mad at something. I don't like something. That is the only way I'll review a movie and say it's bad. If I off the first viewing of something, I can't get over, like, a gripe. Because normally you have gripes with films. But then you quickly get over them because they wash over those with things you do like. And so if there was so many things that I didn't like, that there was no many, if there was not enough good things to wash over the bad, I know a film is bad. And so that's when I'll go bad. But like this film, first viewing, I was very intrigued. The story was interesting. Um, Kingpin was very good choice of villain. Michael Duncan was the perfect choice of actor. His performance was better than Vincent D'Onofrio's in many respects. Not in the acting or dialogue way, but when you're talking about physical fear that you can set in a man, Vincent D'Onofrio just does not have the fear ability that Michael Duncan has in a simple tank top. That man is fucking massive. <laughs> and um, Jennifer Garner was good. I love she's fucking gorgeous. 50 years old, if you didn't know. 50. 50. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious by now I like MILFs. <laughs> I'm just like Young Gravy in that way. Yo, the Young Gravy is my idol right now. Fucking all these MILFs, bro. He's going after. He's taking down Lisa and um, D'Amelio. Not Addison Ray's mom. He's hitting the fucking list. He's the king of this shit right now. But a MILF game. <laughs> they have this early line. Where he says, I'll give them a kingpin. And he says, bring me bullseye. And it it, it, it kind of insinuates that he's going to pass off bullseye as kingpin. Like in the Daredevil TV show when they do bullseye as Daredevil. The guy has a fucking bullseye cut into his forehead. He never misses. He flew into New York after the rumors of kingpin. He flew into New York and was never there before. The rumors came out about Kingpin being the gangster in New York. Maybe the mafia boss who runs everything in New York probably lives in New York 
and doesn't fly in for the first time after his name is brought up. And so, like, that line really took me out where I'm like, is his plan to sell him off as the kingpin? Or was his plan for Bullseye to be an assassin? Because if he just said, get me, get me Bullseye, it makes the film 10 times better for me. I said that in my video. If you want to hear me talk a little more about it, it's on the YouTube channel, the Denzel Can High YouTube channel, where I do a little movie breakdown to give you my thoughts on films that I watch each week. Um, This week, I don't know what film to do this week. I was going to do Elektra, but I got to be honest, guys, the Daredevil video bombed. It bombed. I don't think there's a heavy interest in people looking back for that film, so I think there's probably less of interest in people searching out the Elektra film and the Punisher film from 2004. I wanted to do those two next. I haven't seen them yet, so I thought it would be fun to do, but... And then I was going to do Ghost Rider after that and kind of like get all the 2000s Marvel. I, I should just do them and like not do it for the views of uh, I don't know what to do. If I don't do those films, I have a limitless script I've wrote and just got to film that. And then I have the tennis script that I got to finish up, but that's like 85% done if I want. And it's like these scripts I'm just writing right now, but I don't know. I don't know where I want to go with the channel, really. Like, I want to... My first thought before Daredevil started to tank was to do all the early 2000s Marvel movies, wrap them up, and then start getting through the MCU, some of the stuff I actually like, DC, like, do all the comic book stuff that I enjoy first. Get that out of the way. Not out of the way, but, like, I feel like those have a much more, like, YouTube culture to where like yes like new films when they come out are talked about on youtube and like cult classics like tenet or the thing are talked about a lot like if i'm sure if i did the thing video it would probably get decent views just because the amount of people that talk about it and make videos about it and stuff but with marvel movies i feel like they're heavily discussed especially like spider-man and like i think i've said this before but like like spider-man is my magnum opus my crystal ball my holy grail and so i want everything to be perfect i want i want to have my format and like my fan base and everything to be perfect before i put that video out and i know that's like a horrible way to think about things in a like perfectionist mind state but like i care about and like i even want to do it in a different way and I do like my videos where I just watch the film, make notes, talk about it. I kind of want to like High Top Films did this. And I don't want to copy him directly, of course. Because like I feel like that's like very shitty. Especially in like film review space to copy someone else's film review. But I love Spider-Man. I'm not going to try to like ignore that fact because other people like Spider-Man have made videos about it. I just got to make mine unique. And I want to like explain how spider-man has influenced my every decision i've made basically since i was a child and like i know that could sound insane to say to some people but it really has i hate i hate winter in canada so much i just get sick every time there's no way to stop it unless you just stay inside the whole winter and having asthma of course it's the worst time of year because that will fire up pretty actively yeah, but I was saying, like, I know that might sound insane 
to some people saying my whole life or most of the decisions most of the decisions in my life have been influenced by spider-man that sounds ridiculous but it's true like as a child growing up i would like i want to film my parents um i want to film my parents confirming this fact i would watch it on repeat i would say play it again as soon as the credits would start i would say play it again play it again play it again and i would sit there I would sit there and I would just watch it and watch it and watch it. And I fell in love. I fell in love with Tobey Maguire. I fell in love. Okay, that was pause. Pause. Not in that way. I fell in love with Spider-Man. I fell in love with Peter Parker. I started watching the animated show. I watched that all throughout my childhood. Obviously watching the Sam Raimi movies millions of times. I mean, I, I know I can quote lines when I'm watching the film subconsciously. Because I've watched it so many times. Like the milk and cookies scene. Every time I watch it, it comes back to me. The black suit. Like that was like when I started gaining my memory. And when I when that film came out. And so like I remember that film very much. I remember going to the theaters for that. I remember jumping. Um, you know like when you leave a movie theater. And that's just that large hallway. Where there's kind of like a high corridor. I remember like. Fucking doing the things with my hands. Boom, boom. I think I might have even been like a red and blue, like a Spider-Man like shirt and like hoodie and stuff. I can't remember that clearly. It might even have been black. I, I was I was Spider-Man for three or four Halloweens when I was a child. I was Spider-Man as a teenager for Halloween, which was a little embarrassing, but um yeah, and um in my teenage years, The Amazing Spider-Man came out. And now, I have to preface this. Let me close this. I have to preface this by saying, I liked The Amazing Spider-Man before everybody else did in 2020 when the Andrew Garfield hype came. Like, I liked it when it came out. I was a f the suit to me. The Amazing Spider-Man suit, Amazing Spider-Man 1, is visually the best suit like if i could pick when i go and play this the video game i always pick that suit sam raimi has it has unique qualities and of course the black suit is my favorite suit of all time just with the symbiote everything that it encapsulates being black suit peter parker to me resonates with me more than the regular peter parker the angry peter parker that resonated me with as a child it resonates to me now i I understand the character of the happy Peter Parker that is friendly, lets things go off his shoulder, um, doesn't hold grudges, doesn't act on vengeance and stuff. Like, I understand that as a character, but as a human being, I relate to the to the Peter Parker who's been fired, everything his girls his girlfriends left him, everything is wrong, life is bad, he's angry at the world. I I relate to that more personally and so i that 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 movie and so many people hated on that i held that when i was a kid it was my favorite when you go back and you watch it now it's like in a more like film diagnostic way i still get the nostalgia feelings so i don't hate it i can't ever rate it low um to me the original um if all my if my mom's friends or anybody like knew me as a child, I would say Gobby. So like the original to me, 
Green Goblin, Spider Man, him writing the costume in the in the in the notebook, um, the first scene where it swings out of his things and he goes like this. Like, I didn't even know about web shooters. When you grew up on Sam Raimi, you don't know what web shooters are until the comics. You're like, wait, why don't they just make it come out of his wrist? I think in the animated series they made it come out of his wrist too. I'm not sure though. All that no, the first movie really like, I know why the second film, as like a film, is is rated so much like is rated as the best of all time, but to me personally, the first with Green Goblin just is what I remember the most. And yeah, William Defoe. I mean, like I, I love that man too. Everybody's performances in that are spectacular, spectacular performances. Like, as a kid, I didn't even realize that's James Franco. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not associating Pineapple Express on the... I'm not associating the actor on the Harry Osborne. When he says he's Harry and he's the son of Norman Osborn, that's what he seems to be to me. I don't know who James Franco is. <laughs> I, I really just... I get lost. When I talk about Spider-Man, I can go. The same way I was talking about when I was writing that script, it just... There's so much there, and like yeah, that's why I want to make it in a different way because I'll just make three 30-minute video Spider-Man Spider-Man videos basically, where I just tell you all of my thoughts on it, and it's like, first of all, that's not new and creative. <laughs> Secondly, I don't think it's that all. I wouldn't be too entertaining to just hear someone fanboy for 30 minutes, like without any perspective or details given. Like, sure, if you uh, like hearing me talk or or know me or something or in the future if I'm big or something it might make sense to go back and look at that my favorite film I want to do it in a way where it's like the video to me matches my love for the character that is the best way I can describe it I do not want to let spider-man down and that's like if I I I I, I often think about writing spider-man short films I need to have I need to do it full I can't do it half. I need to honor the character. It wouldn't feel right to me. I would waste so much energy trying to make it perfect when there was no possible way for a small budget you can make Spider-Man perfect. I need to be able to get there and do it at the MCU budget. I need that budget. Not not that budget, but like I need like 100K. At least. You need like 100K to make a good Spider-Man film. Like, not a good Spider-Man. I think you can make a good Spider-Man film for free. But a Spider-Man film with VFX and like actually being like a feature-length film and and have actors that fit the characters and good sound and all that stuff and good great camera work, I think that yeah you need even to get like a good enough suit to where somebody can edit the suit to look uh, consistent throughout the film and swinging of webs like um, that's a ten thousand dollar scene wherever you put it in the film. Like that, the web swing scene, like no VFX I've ever seen, low budget for that looks good, ever. Like any time I've seen that, it's like, Spider-Man Lotus is kind of like, it's passable for a short film, but if you were to see that in The Amazing Spider-Man or Spider-Man No Way for Home, you'd be like, what the fuck? Like you'd probably turn it off, so. It's not like cinema quality. And that probably cost them like a thousand bucks to do, so. Yeah, so it's like, for me, I want to do it right. I want to have the budget. 
for the YouTube video. I want to like, I want to, I want to bring through people. I want to kind of make it a trilogy. The way I have it like in my head is almost like a documentary that I explain my life story through the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. And so it's like the first one's the beginning, right? And it's like very happy, very fun, very lighthearted. And that is like my childhood, of course, from, from one years old to say like 14 before I start high school, my childhood. And then you have your teenage to young adult years where it's like, that's like the second film where it's like, it's like you're kind of, I like in where I relate to my life is I was broken down, beaten, had given up being a trying to be more than what I was. I did not want to live for anything else except for the other fact of just surviving. And so that's where I associated that to the second film and the third film, which is like I haven't lived through it yet, but would be 21 to like 30 or whatever, the rebirth replan to go again the vengeance that story that's my idea of how i want to do those that's why i want studio quality to be up i want my editing quality to be way up i want my mic quality to be up i want to have more of like a solidified fan base to where it's like i can put that video out and know like it won't tank ultimately i am scared of putting a lot of work into something and then posting it, and then it getting 100 views, 400 views, like, like, uh, like, and just completely bombing and all that work in my mind being up for nothing. But what I really just gotta look at is like, whether or not it does good or is perceived well is just up to the gods, up to Loki, Thor, Hela, all of the gods. But what matters is the learning experience, is gaining those skills is doing it, letting it go, and then doing it again. And that's what I've learned, really. What I'm trying to learn, what I'm still learning, what I've put a big focus on. I like, I even named 2023, this is the year of discipline. This is the year where we learn discipline. If nothing else I do this year, I become a more disciplined individual. I don't do things out of wanting to do them. I don't do things out of motivation. I do things because I have to do them because they matter to me. And I know even if I feel bad in the moment, doing it ultimately will have a positive effect on my life. I think if I gain that ability, there is no, no hold on how far I can go. And I believe that for anybody. I believe that for if anybody thinks that you are dumb or you're in a job you don't want, but you really got some creative ideas in the back of your head, you wanna, you wanna fucking hey, start a TikTok, you wanna start a YouTube channel about any odd topic, niche, whatever it may be. Maybe you wanna talk about movies. Do it. Keep doing it. Put in the work. Put in the ten thousand hours. Stay disciplined enough to put in the first ten thousand hours. And then after those 10,000 hours, where they say if you put in that 10,000 hours, you will be a pro. After those, stay disciplined enough to put in another 10,000 hours and keep stacking and keep stacking and keep stacking. That's my message for the week. Thank you guys so much for watching episode 14 of the Denzel Can High Show. I hope you guys had a great week.
I will see you then. Peace. Bitches with the champagne. champagne. I'm the new light skin, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne.